Many moons ago, uh, more than a couple of decades ago, my wife and I were newly married. We had begun our international ministry, and uh, for all this time, I've been traveling about 130, 140 days a year. And probably the first six, eight years of our ministry, I was going almost exclusively to third world nations, a lot to Africa, going to East Germany, Poland, and this is before uh, the Berlin Wall and Perestroika and Glasnost opened up, and so financially they were just in dire conditions. And so a lot of these trips, one after another, we were funding ourselves, money was tight, and my wife worked for a mortgage company, uh, and I was a small company owned by a father and a son, had about 10, 15 employees, and her immediate boss, the son, uh, got to know him a little bit. His name was Brad, and this is going way back in the early, mid-80s. He was making himself about a quarter of a million dollars a year, and that's when a quarter of a million dollars a year was really meant something. But uh, he knew uh, how little my wife made because she, he signed her paycheck every week, and he knew a little bit about our lifestyle, our traveling and going to third world countries. So he knew we didn't have a whole lot of money. And one day my wife pulls into work and she said, uh, you know, can I ask you and Mark a, a life uh, question about your church life and, you know, things with God? He, he wasn't a Christian. And she said, sure. And he said, well, last night I was flipping the channels and I found some Christian uh, television preacher and he was talking about finances and economy, and he talked about how important it is to do this tithing thing. My wife is thinking, tithing, 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 what's he talking about? And uh, he, she said, tithing, she says, yeah, you know, this preacher said you have to tithe every week to your church. And she said, you mean tithe? He said, yeah, yeah, that's it. And he said to her, do you do that? And my wife said, well, yes, we do. And uh, again, he knows how little we made, and he said, well, how can you afford to do that? And here he's a guy with a quarter million dollars, just thinking there's no way in the world I would have to do that. And she thought about it for a minute, she said, well, it's not so much that we can afford to do it, we can't afford not to do it. Because when we celebrate God's provision in our lives by returning the tithe, then we're thanking him for his goodness. In, I'm, I'm convoluting a couple of stories here, but um, at that time, in the early 80s, there was a church I went to several times in Aba, Nigeria. And as some of you know, in some parts of the world, they did, or maybe still do, use, extensively use the King James Version of the Bible. And in modern translations, where Paul said, we're a people set apart, in the King James, it reads, we are a peculiar people. <laughs> And this church used the King James Version, and the name of their church was Peculiar People's Bibles Church. <laughs> and so uh, I was sending them a bunch of books one time, uh, and I was at the post office, the postmaster guy, you know, he's checking all this in for this big international shipment, and he sees on the label, Peculiar People's Bible Church. And he said, peculiar people in Africa, he said, are they pygmies? What are they? <laughs> so I explained to him, you know, that in today's language, it means set apart and Christians and we're to be different, all of that. But the reality is that if you really walk with God according to the Bible, 
you're going to be very, very different from those around you. You should be anyway. I'm not talking about doilies on your head and things like that. And I'm not talking about getting weird culturally. You can do that without anointing from the Holy Spirit. Some of you are all over that, but we won't go there. <laughs> but what I'm talking about is we're to have some extremely different perspectives on life. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul said, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or dissipation, some translations say. But he said, Be filled with the Spirit. When you are drunk with wine you have a very false perception of life. For example, we know that people get drunk almost every day and they'll get in cars and end up killing people, having severe accidents because they think they're in control, but they actually have a very wrongful perception, don't they? But you see, I think in the reality, Paul, as oftentimes with the scripture, what he was writing here, God was saying far more than just don't drink to excess. But I think in a sense he was saying, do not be intoxicated by the value systems and philosophies and the ways of this world because they're very, very misleading. And the antithesis of that is to be filled with the Spirit. And isn't it interesting that on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell with power, the critics said they're drunk from drinking too much wine. But when you're filled with the Spirit, you have a very, very different perspective, even sometimes from other Christians. A few years ago, <coughs> in the, a church I go to almost every year in the north of London, in Harrow, um, we, on the Sunday morning, a young woman, about 20, came up to me as the service ended, and she said, I'd love for my mother to bring here, to be here to get prayer for healing but she's in the hospital, she's got severe leukemia, she's going through bone marrow transplant. They don't expect her to survive. They expect her to die within the next two weeks. But the doctors have said, even if she does survive the bone marrow transplant the next couple weeks, at the most she's gonna live for two years. And now, this 20-year-old girl telling me this is a rather new Christian, but she's reading the Bible and she has a different perspective, even from many other Christians. She said, I read the other day in the book of Acts that they would take pieces of clothing to Paul and he would pray for it and then they would take the sick people and a miracle would happen. She said, do you suppose God is still doing that sort of thing today? And I said, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So she shows up at the Sunday night service with the scarf of her mother's and said, would you pray for this that God would uh, allow me to put this on her and a miracle would take place? We prayed for her at the Sunday night service. She takes it after the service, kind of after vision hour, sneaks into the hospital. Her mother was, <clears throat> this is a Pentecostal church. Her mother never went to Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical, liturgical. Well, she went to a Catholic church. And uh, she, you know, though she wasn't around healings and miracles, she was open to the supernatural. So when her daughter said, can I put this on you and pray for her, her mother said, go for it. Her mother had been having severe sleeping problems for at least six, nine months because of all the pain she was in. But after her daughter prayed for her, she fell into a deep sleep and she woke up in the middle of the night wide awake, just like a cell phone had gone off. And she said she saw things she'd never seen before. She saw Jesus standing in the hospital room. <coughs> she was a little bit confused because he was wearing doctor scrubs and I said, well, he is the great physician, isn't he? 
And she was so startled, but in a good way, she yelled out three times to Jesus. And she ends up falling back asleep, and she woke up the next morning feeling really good for the first time in about a year and a half, two years. And against the doctor's orders, about a week later, she checked herself out of the hospital. They had told her that even if she survived the bone marrow transplant, she had two years to live. That was about five years ago, and I just saw her this summer, or last summer I was with that church. She is in perfect health. And the tipping point for this creative miracle was her daughter had a different perspective. You see, when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, he was talking really about have faith that the realm of the always possible heaven can invade and change the realm of the impossible things here on earth. And I wanna speak to you this morning about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wanna dedicate this message to Reinhard Bonnke who just passed away a few days ago. If you don't know about Reinhard Bonnke, I, I don't know how old he was, probably in his 70s, 79, thank you. Um, he was a very successful German businessman that almost clear out of the blue, got a call upon his life to just pack everything up and become evangelist to the African people. And although he's done things all over the world, his impact upon some of the African nations in the body of Christ is just unparalleled. The signs and wonders, the miracles, the evangelism. And he was a man that on a whole nother level was filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I remember the first time I was in Nigeria, being at the airport, just walking around as you do in airports, you know, going stir crazy and going into the bookstore uh, there at the airport. And there they had Reinhold Bonnke uh, videos and cassette tapes, you know. They're selling his stuff right there in the airport. He'd had such a big impact in Nigeria. But he was a man that just said yes to the Spirit of God. He was a man that was filled with the Spirit of God. And although we don't want to always try to extrapolate and say this and that, this morning in praying about the meeting, I did sense the Lord saying something like out of Isaiah 6, that the year of King Uzziah's death, and Uzziah was one of the better kings in Israel's history, that uh, that's when Isaiah was taken up to the throne of God and caught a life-changing revelation of the glory of God. And Isaiah became probably the foremost Old Testament prophet spokesman about Jesus the Messiah. He was more quoted by Jesus than any of the other Old Testament prophets. And I sense that there is something being released of the next few months, and it's time to step up. But aside from that, I felt this week the Lord leading me and leading me, and finally worked out early this morning for you as a church, that the Lord's calling you to go to a whole nother level on several different fronts, and your key is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, or that's one of the greatest keys. When Paul said, do not get drunk from wine, for that is dissipation, be filled with the Spirit, it was not a suggestion. It was a directive word. You cannot live a Christ's life, biblically-based life, aside from being filled with the Spirit. Even Jesus himself was led by the Spirit, and it says in uh, Luke chapter 4, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this, that when it says in Luke that he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the word for filled is the word plerase. 
And as one theologian explained it to me, the word pleurase, the best definition of that meaning today, be filled with the Spirit, or in our English language, would be to say Jesus was oozing the Holy Spirit. Oozing. He was so compactly filled with the Holy Spirit, he could not contain the Spirit of God so that that woman could walk up behind him in the crowd and just touch the edges of his garment, and an unexplainable miracle could take place. You know how you can fill a cup of water or a glass so it's to, to the very top it's full and it's even higher in the brim, in the center, than it is on the brim around the edges? That does not begin to illustrate how full, full Jesus was of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus did what he did, lived the life he lived by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need to be filled with the presence and the power of God? Two of you are excited. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm with the right crowd, evidently, on a Sunday morning here in this part of the world. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul wrote and said, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. I can remember the very first creative miracle I saw God do as far as the healing of a body a woman who had, was about to have her colon removed. The whole colon was destroyed by cancer. This had been well documented, and her history had been traced for months by the doctors, and they were going to remove it that night. And we went that afternoon to the hospital to pray for her began to, before they prepped her for the operation. And uh, we had begun to see some healings in my church in San Diego. This is late 70s, early 80s, but we had not seen creative miracles and as we were praying, wondering how should we go about this, all of a sudden, the kabod glory of the Lord filled that room. And the presence of the Lord, the holiness of God was so intense, my two friends and I, we got down our knees on that hard tile uh, hospital room and just worshiped the Lord for about 20, 30 minutes. And as the glory of God began to lift, I said to the, the mother and her daughter that brought us there, well, let's go. And she said, well, aren't you going to pray for my mother? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we need to do that. We prayed briefly, but I said to the woman, whatever God's going to do, he's done because his freedom has been here. And the daughter called me up the next morning. They started the operation because they knew that she had cancer by a shadow of a doubt. But they never removed the colon because they found out the colon was in perfect condition, 100%. And we had been, in those days, we were just learning everything we could about healing, deliverance, prophecy, and evangelism, you know. But that was one of the most important kingdom learning lessons I've ever had because what I realized afterwards, that although it is important what we know, it's even more important who we know than what we know. And where the Spirit is, there is liberty. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus and the Father with us in our midst. In fact, Isaiah, who had prophesied well over 700 years before Jesus was born, he said, a child, Isaiah 7:14. therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, a child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Well, as it came time for the crucifixion, shortly before then, Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to be leaving you now, and where I'm going, you cannot follow, at least right now. 
And then he said to him, I know that this causes you grief because these men loved Jesus. They'd given up everything to follow him for three years. They'd given up jobs, careers, some of them had left friends behind, everything. And he said, where I'm going, you can't come with me. And he said, I know that causes you sorrow. But he said to them, it is to your benefit that I leave you because if I don't leave you, I cannot send the Holy Spirit. You see, up until that time, just the 12 or maybe the 70 or a little bit larger could kind of commune and walk with Jesus, travel with him, be near him. But now there's close to a billion people on the face of the earth that call Jesus Lord and Savior and know his presence because we're in the age of the Spirit, what took place because of what Jesus did on the cross. The ability of the Holy Spirit completely transcends our understanding of what is capable. We were doing a conference just about five, six weeks ago near Nashville, Tennessee, and the first night, uh, there was a, a group of about eight people that lived in a community about an hour away from Nashville. They were part of the church. They'd registered for the conference, but there was a heavy rainstorm that night, so they decided just to watch it online. And so they told me this story the next day when they arrived for the conference that they're at a house, hooked up the computer, and all the seven or eight of them are there. They're live streaming this thing. And uh, one of the women in their group had been up since four in the morning, so she had the audacity to fall asleep during my message. And she slept all the way through, almost all the way through the message and the ministry time, but she had come to the meeting with two bad knees that she'd had for years. And during the ministry time, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge to pray for people with bad knees, and of course, a bunch of people come forward, we pray for them. But when this lady woke up at the end of the show, the end of the live stream, both of her knees were completely healed. How in the world, this is the Pentecostal section right here. I'm just gonna focus right over here. You people are kind of on your own there. But uh, how in the world does it work when Paul or maybe we lay hands on a scarf or a piece of clothing and say, Lord, would you anoint this with your power? Then someone takes it to a sick person, prays for them, they're healed. How does that work? I don't know. I don't have a clue. How does it work that we can say something at the leading of the Holy Spirit that it travels the word travel the internet and an hour or eight hours on the other side of the world, all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to touch person, especially someone who's asleep. That gives rise to a whole bunch of questions. For example, can you sleep through the message Sunday morning and still get the benefit of the message? (laughs) I, I don't know, maybe we don't wanna go there, but anyway, it's an interesting question. But somehow her spirit was able to receive even what her mind at the moment was turned off to. But the things that are impossible for man are never a challenge for the Lord. Where the spirit is, there is freedom. And his ability completely transcends our understanding of what's capable. I love what it says in Proverbs, lean not to understanding, but trust the Lord with all your heart. And that doesn't mean we throw the brains out the window. Some people begin to speak in tongues and never use their brain again. You can't blame everything on God, neither can you blame everything on the devil. You don't get any brownie points in heaven for being stupid on earth. There's a, there's, there's a message there somewhere, but uh, we don't have time to develop that. Uh, but the things he does, he gives people beauty for ashes. Have you ever considered that promise Isaiah, God gives beauty for ashes? 
You can take a piece of wood that can be used to make furniture or build a house, but then you burn it, all that's left is ashes, it's good for nothing. But God is in the business of taking what's good for nothing in our lives and turning it into beauty. One of the most graphic illustrations I've seen in this is a few years ago in um, Lancaster in North England, northwest part of England, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge to pray for people with blood conditions. And a bunch of people come up, but one of the women in leadership of the church brought up a young woman, and I didn't know anything about her. She's about maybe 21, 22. Looks a little bit beat up, but I didn't know anything about her. And the woman in the church said to me, she has severe hepatitis C, and uh, her liver is really barely functioning. Now, what I didn't know about her that was that she was just kind of in the process of coming to the Lord. She was actually a working prostitute. She had a very expensive cocaine addiction, and this woman from the church was reaching out to these women on the street. And uh, she brings her to the meeting, pray for her. I said, Lord, would you cleanse her blood? And then without knowing anything about her, the Lord gave me a very strange prophetic word for her. I said, you know, you might, may or may not understand this, but you think you're stupid, but actually the Lord has given you a beautiful mind, and you're going to go on to be a woman of influence, and you're going to complete your education. So I didn't know that she was this prostitute. I didn't know this expensive cocaine addiction and almost living on the streets. I didn't know she had a four- or five-year-old child she couldn't take care of. I didn't know all this. But that week when she went to the clinic, she went in weekly for her blood to be tested, uh, they did the test, and they said, something's off here, and she thinks, oh, gosh, I'm getting worse. But they did more tests. The doctor sat down with her and said, I don't know what's going on here, but apparently you no longer have hepatitis C, and your, your liver appears to be in perfect condition. So that was really a huge wake-up call. She really got going with the Lord. The church took her in, kind of adopted her. She got set free from that cocaine addiction, got set free from uh, uh, being a prostitute, and they began to work with her to get her online equivalency education. She dropped out of high school and had been on the street for years, and she had always thought she was stupid. That's why she dropped out of school and got this cocaine addiction, then turned to her lifestyle. But when she began to pursue her education, to her amazement, she found out she was actually quite smart. So smart that a university offered her a full-ride scholarship. And when they sent me the testimony from the church nine months later, they said, now she is able to take care of her five-year-old child, and we have collected some money. We sent them to the south of Spain for the first family vacation this little family has ever had. And see, this is the kingdom of God. This is the business of the Holy Spirit giving us beauty for ashes. And we can think about relatives and loved ones. You know, sometimes Christmas is so hard for so many people, estranged relationships, breakups, divorces, all sorts of things. And maybe you can think of some close friends or relationships just to have really hardened hearts for God. But I tell you, you look at the future apostle Paul, Saul, as he was called at that time, on the road to Damascus to have Christians locked up, tortured, even killed. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and he was blinded by the light of God's presence, and he became the greatest spokesman for the kingdom of God of his generation. I tell you, the things that are impossible for us are never difficult for God, and where the Spirit is moving, there is freedom. 
And so I want to say this again because I want to, you know, we're singing Christmas songs and we're going to be telling the Christmas story in a million different ways. But when you read in Mark chapter 1 and it talks about the baby Jesus, they brought up that prophecy from Isaiah over 700 years previous and they said his name should be called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father being worshipped by the angels, but his presence, his spirit is here in our midst. Let me say this to you. The Holy Spirit is oftentimes confused for an emotion, and you don't want to go there. Because it is true, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is righteous, peace, and joy in the Spirit, and so he affects our emotions. But you can't confuse your emotional state at the time to the freedom of the Spirit with you and about you. I can tell you I've actually seen an incredible number of creative miracles take place when I have not wanted to pray for anybody whatsoever. I've just wanted to be home, I've just wanted to be locked away, I just wanted to be down the road on my motorcycle with my wife and kids, not praying for people. I've, you know, one of my favorite counseling lines is, get a life. It is biblical, by the way, but anyway. <laughs> but I'd I, I done the four nights of meetings in a church in California, we prayed for lots of people every night, and finally I'm tired, just wanna get out of there, get something to eat got my little bag, hit out the door, and we have this video testimony on our website. I didn't know about this until 10 years after it happened. But I'm heading out the door, this father heads me off at the pass, and he says, uh, do you have one more prayer left in you? And I said, no, I felt like saying no, not really. Um, but he's, I said, what do you need prayer for? And he points to his 12-year-old son at the time, and he said he is in the top 98 percentile of epilepsy. He's turning into a basket case. He has seizures three to four nights a week. He can no longer really go to school. He has a very dim outlook for his future. The doctors don't think he's going to live a long time. Can you pray for him? And I looked in the father's eyes. I didn't feel any faith, but the father was filled with faith. You know the story of when the four friends carried the paralyzed friend to the meeting. I love it because it says Jesus saw the faith of the four friends. There's got to be faith somewhere. You might have the faith, but at times you might not, but somebody else in the equation might have faith. It's got to be there. So Jesus healed that man. The woman who touched Jesus' garment, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. So I wasn't sensing anything at all. I just wanted to be out, out of there. And in the video testimony, the father actually says, as he said, you prayed for him, but you only prayed 10 seconds, and I was angry at you because it was at night that my son would have these seizures, and for four nights I bring him thinking you get a word of knowledge and pray over my son, and finally all I get is this 10-second prayer. He was, he was, I was angry. You just picked up your bag and walked out. I thought maybe he'll do the Elisha thing where he'll grab my son and hug him for a while. No, forget that. I'm hungry. And... Uh, but he said, you put your hand on my son's back and you said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of affliction called epilepsy and I bless you to be healed in Jesus' name. And he said, you know, I was so frustrated with you, but it just so happened that our monthly appointment with the neurologist where they put on the electrodes and tracked the progress of the disease, you know, we, it was that Friday we went and the doctor put on the electrodes and says, well, something's really different here. And he said to the doctor, well, he said, uh, I, I know you, you might not understand this, 
He said, but I know we, we've told you we're Christians, and he was prayed for last Sunday night in the name of Jesus, and this is the first week in five years he's had no seizures. The doctor looked at him and said, well, I'd be really excited to say a miracle's taking place, but let's wait till next month's appointment. So now five weeks go by, no seizures. And uh, they did every test they could think of. The doctor finally sat down with the mother and father and said, in all the years I've been treating neurological diseases and been studying neurological diseases and issues, I've never seen or heard anything like this. But your son has absolutely no trace of, of any neurological issues. When I met that young man and the father 10 years later, at 22 years old, he was now a United States Marine that trained young recruits in physical fitness. And you see, the things that are impossible for us become possible when the Spirit of God is moving. And when you walk with God, living a biblical life filled with the Spirit, there are no limitations to what take place. And I want to dedicate this message to Reinhard Bonnke that, you know, I, I've, I was actually born in Germany and moved when I was three to the States, but uh, I've done extensive ministry in the last 25 years in Germany. I, I feel like I know the German culture a bit well. The German culture is a very stoic culture. It's frowned upon to show emotions publicly. To think that God would take a German and send him to Africa where the Africans tend to be very demonstrative and very alive, and here's kind of a cold, stoic German called to preach. And the greatest preachers in the world come out of Africa, really. But God can do anything with anybody. And there are no limitations. No limitations. And so, so much of the time, we're leaning to understand, say, well, I see how this could happen, but I don't see how that could happen. Well, I'm not saying throw your brains out the window, and there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, that's for sure. Sometimes we need help with discerning between good ideas and God ideas. That's a whole other message, but some of you need to take hold of that point right there. It's worth the price of admission for some of you. But anyway, how do we get and stay filled with the Spirit? I'd like to read to you from Psalm 105, the first four verses. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord, that's you, by the way, rejoice. Eight of you are excited. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. You see, being filled with the Spirit isn't a once-in-a-lifetime or even once-in-a-decade or once-in-a-church-movement kind of deal. It's a lifestyle. So let's break this down a little bit. The psalmist said, give thanks to the Lord. What is the ultimate clue or ultimate sign of what it means to have a Spirit-filled lifestyle? Always having deep revelation. Some of us get revelation so deep the angels don't even know what we're talking about. Is it to continually moving in miracles and signs and wonders? Is it always to be leading people to Christ? Paul said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Biblically speaking, the ultimate indicator, I believe, of a life filled with the Spirit is to have a grateful, thankful, celebratory heart to God. I mean, when people tell me where they're filled with the Spirit, but they don't like to worship, or they don't like to pray, they don't like to celebrate the goodness of God, something's off there. And I want to speak into that for a moment with the DNA and the calling upon your church. Isaiah said in Isaiah 66, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, I, the Lord, who have made all these things that exist, what will you do for me? What can you build for me? But he said, where will I find a resting place? A lot of our lives are not resting places for the Holy Spirit. They're places of busyness. And even when we pray, our prayers primarily consist of, Lord, do this, Lord, do that. Lord, I need this, Lord, I need that. And even if it's praying and interceding for other people, how often do we just sit down with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm here because I just want to gaze upon you. I just want to hang, on, uh, hang out with you. I just want to meditate upon you. How often do we really make our hearts a resting place? I'm not saying this for you. I'm saying it for the church meeting down the road. But upon you as a church, and I realize there's ins and outs, there's different seasons, and I'm not talking about legalistically or religiously or anything, but one of the greatest strengths of your church is what you do on those Friday nights you call the burn meetings, that you come together without an agenda of, Lord, I want this, I want that, or if we pray this way, you'll do that thing. But it's, Lord, we just want to make a resting place. We want to detain and entertain the presence of God. And every church has a call, every Christian has a call to make a resting place in their hearts, Lord. But there is a very unique call upon you as a church. And I believe in the coming year and years, among your artists, your musicians, your creative people, there's going to be, among other, air there is as well, but there's going to be a fresh flow of the Holy Spirit, new creativity, a new psalmist anointing rising up, a new Levitical anointing rising up to you. And again, I'm not saying do this legalistically or make a ritual out of it, but there is a call upon you for this city, for these cities, for this region to be a resting place for glory to the Lord, saying, Lord... We want you not be just because of what you do, but we want you because of who you are. Maintaining a grateful heart to God. Secondly, as I said, spend time with God. The psalmist continued by saying, call upon his name. Calling upon the name of the Lord is not just when you're about to get in an accident in your car saying, Jesus! Call upon the name of the Lord is to spend time in the Word, to spend time praying, to spend time with Him, hanging out with Him, calling upon His name and praying. And isn't it true that a really good prayer meeting, there's a certain point it turns into a good worship meeting, and vice versa, there's a point in a really good worship meeting where you realize you're speaking, you're communing with the Lord, and He's speaking to you. Jesus said as he continued in John 16, talking about their grief, you know, that they were leaving him. He was leaving them. He said, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me, but truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
Until now you've asked nothing, my name, but ask and you receive that your joy might be made full. Whenever we teach on the prophetic or we teach on healings and miracles, we always have to, or we should at least, address the issue. There's mysteries involved with the supernatural. There's a mystery involved, specifically at times, with the timing of the Lord. It's so exciting that the first time you pray for a diseased or sick person, the first time you pray for their healing, but oftentimes it's not like that. It's so exciting that when you prophesy something, immediately it begins to unfold, but it's all, not always like that. We prayed for, uh, we, uh, in uh, Venice Beach, Florida, about four years ago now, on a Sunday night, I got a word of knowledge, Lord, one people with leg problems. We had three people get up out of wheelchairs and walk that night, and one of the women had been in a wheelchair for 40 years. How many of you would say it's a long time? That's a longer time than a lot of you have been alive for 40 years, but during that 40 years, for many of those years, she and her husband were on a nationwide, uh, nation, nationally known healing ministry. She and her husband would go to other states, they would pray for the sick, she would teach on healing. How many people has she prayed for over the decades with bad legs have been healed, but yet she's not healed, she's not healed, she's not healed, but that night, Decades of prayer were answered, not because I was there, but it was the sovereign timing of the Lord. And so we don't always know the exact timing of the Lord, but the fact is, as we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, we can do so with a glad heart because he wants to answer those prayers that our joy might be made full. There's something I've had a particular vision for, an aspect of our ministry with Mantle Praise Ministries. I've had this vision for over 20 years now. I've been praying and praying and praying, and it's just an aspect of what we want to do. But we've been praying and praying and praying. Nothing has been happening in this area. But just about three weeks ago, all of a sudden something opened up. And it was kind of exciting, but then about six hours after it opened up, I realized, wait a minute. This is the beginning of that that we were praying for 20 years ago, and it's happening now. And why did it take 20 years? I don't know, but this is God's timing. I can tell you, I'm so excited about this thing getting going. So there's a mystery of the timing, but nonetheless, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you so that your joy might be made full. The psalmist continued. He said, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. We're called to share and give away what God gives us. There is a growing call, and I believe a growing anointing. There's going to be growing opportunities and growing momentum with you as a church in the area of evangelism. Jesus said to his disciples, freely, freely receive, freely, freely give. And I believe as the years go by, you're going to see a greater and greater freedom personally in your jobs, your neighborhoods, but as a church and strategies God's going to give you for reaching out. You are going to have a growing harvest. Share what he does. Make known his deeds among the peoples. And again, as the psalmist continued, Make known his deeds among people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. And I, I know I've covered this a little bit, but I just want to emphasize this one more time. There's going to be a growing Holy Spirit momentum in your creativity, your songwriting, your musicianship. 
the Levitical anoint upon you to usher in the presence of God with worship, but also a psalmist anointing. And it's just not only part of your DNA, it's part of your calling, and it's going to grow and grow and grow. Now, there are some things maybe that, uh, you know, we shouldn't address from the pulpit, so I'm just going to touch on this lightly. But I know as a church that you've struggled a lot with various, um, in the area of worship, and it's because the devil will always try to attack you in your main area of strength. Mark, that was a good point. Do not be up, put off by those blank fish looks. <laughs> you see, the devil's not going to spend a lot of time attacking you in areas that you're really not called that much to. But in areas that you're called to excel and display the glory of God, he's going to pour out everything he has. And so those of you that are in the know, that have been around for a while, you know that there's been throughout the seasons a lot of turmoil with worship in this church. But it's because that's a, a, a thing God has called you to excel in. So don't wonder about that. In fact, it should be the other way around. If you hadn't been attacked, you should be wondering, wow, why, why aren't we? You know? <laughs> Sing to him, sing praises to him, and tell of his wondrous works. We did a meeting of uh, Friday night focused on the miraculous, and it wasn't just praying for people for healing. We spent probably the most time in ministry praying for people to receive an impartation and move in miracles. And I'll just say this. I believe that many of you, not only those who were there Friday night, but as a church, many of you are going to begin to see an exponential increase of healings and miracles, and it's to have testimonies of his power. You know, when the Hebrew people crossed the Jordan River after 40 years, you know, a new generation was raised up. After 40 years of wandering, they finally crossed the Jordan to the Promised Land. And as they were crossing, God said, collect the 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes from the center of the river, and when you cross over, make a monument. But when you read this towards the end of Joshua 4, the stones, the monument, were not to remember the place. God said, establish a monument so that all the people in the face of the earth might fear my name. God wants testimonies of his power and his glory to not just be within the four walls, but to come to the world. And I believe, even as Reinhold Bonnke championed so boldly healings and miracles for all these decades, I believe we're about to see an increase of it now. An increase of it now. So we testify of his works. And finally, the psalmist said, let those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek the Lord in his strength. Well, in one aspect, it needs to be said that when we're talking about seeking the Lord, we're also talking about reading the Bible. Two people were excited. <laughs> Let me put it a little bit more dramatically just in case you're about to fall asleep. To the degree you neglect the Bible, you're neglecting the person of Jesus. Because, you see, Jesus is the Word. The Word is Jesus. 
The word itself, the word logos that John used, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. That word logos, that's the primary word used about Jesus, he is the word. And you go from Genesis chapter one, the six days of creation, it all speaks about him. Let there be a separation of the waters. It's a prophetic picture of the time would come Jesus would leave the right hand of the Father and the living waters would come to earth. Let there be the firmament, the rock of salvation coming here on earth. Let there be the animal realm. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but the lamb of God who by his blood did purchase men from every tribe and tongue and nation. Let there be the, veg- well, the, the vegetation. Jesus is the true vine that as we abide in him and he in us, we bear much fruit. Let there be man in our image. Jesus is called the son of man because he's the perfect picture of what the Father always intended humanity to be like. And finally, let there be a Sabbath day that when you come to Christ, you enter into his rest. You cease from your own works thinking you have to earn or buy salvation. And it goes from the first chapter of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation that John said in Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus. He is the word. And I don't care whether you're reading it quietly while maybe your spouse is asleep next to you or whether you're speaking out loud or whether the word is being preached or whether you're listening to a podcast. The word is alive. It is alive. It has authority in it. Sometimes people say, you know, I've been seeking and seeking and seeking after more of Jesus, and I lift my hands as high as I can, I sing as loud as I can, I kneel as much as I can. I say, well, have you tried opening your Bible? Well, that went over big. Maybe try it from a different angle, Mark. (laughs) You know, you read the Bible, there's not only the 1,700 directive words, but there are 3,000 promises of blessing. And as you read those things and you read them going after the mind of Christ and you're spending time with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden they're opened up to you. I mean, sometimes I'm just like everybody else in the middle of the night, you know, I have warfare come at me. I have a routine, an anointed routine. It's not a ritual, but it's an anointed routine. I'll get up in the middle of the night and I'll read out of Psalm 34 that God withholds no good thing from those who fear him. The young lions will go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack in any good thing. And I'm able to go back to sleep and have a great night's sleep. (laughs) Why? It's the word. It's alive. It cuts between the soul and the spirit. And I don't care what issues and what questions you have, when you take in the word, and especially as the Holy Spirit breathes upon something, it cuts between all the objections and it releases truth, truth, hope, faith, life deep within your spirit. And so we read these words. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of his wonder work. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. It's a decision. Love has very little at times to how you feel. Love is a decision choosing to be obedient, choosing to honor your spouse, choosing to make sacrifices for your children, choosing to do the right thing on your job. Love is always a choice. It's not, well, I don't feel like it. Who cares? (laughs) 
Life is not an Instagram bubble. Well, that went over big, so I'll just move past it. <laughs> the last thing I want to say, and it's not directly tied into the psalm we read, but the prophet Samuel gave King Saul a directive word to do, to go after the enemy and destroy everything. But he didn't do that. He destroyed most things, but the best of the sheep, the oxen, the gold and silver, he kept for himself. And when Samuel confronted him and said, why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? He said, oh, I kept it so I could make a great sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel responded and said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And sometimes, not you, but people in the church down the road, sometimes we just get so caught up in things, we're saying, well, tomorrow I'll have time to Lord. Tomorrow I'll have time to really step out for the Lord. Tomorrow never comes because you get tomorrow, you're still stuck in today, aren't you? There's a whole message there about time and God and whatnot. But you see... People say, well, as soon as I get this level, or as soon as I have this much money, or as soon as I have this much breakthrough, then it'll be time. No, you'll, you'll never get there. And we think, well, I, I can write a check. I can put in fat offerings and things like that. You know, years and years and years ago, Mother Teresa came and was speaking in California, and at that time, the governor of California was really promoting her. And in a private conversation, the governor of California said, I, I want to make a, a substantial uh, financial contribution to your offering. You know what Mother Teresa said to him? said, you know what? I don't want your money. He said, you don't? And she said, no, I, I want to invite you to come to two weeks to our orphanage in India and serve God there. And you know what? He did that. He did that. And there's times when we think, oh, I'll sacrifice this, I'll sacrifice that, and God will be pleased. Well, it's good to live sacrificial, but more than anything else, out of the relationship, God wants your obedience. In 1991, after a ministry trip to Ontario, we were invited to relocate our international ministry to Toronto, be part of the leadership team, and train on the spiritual gifts, and do preaching there and stuff, and continued to travel, and I didn't want to go. My wife didn't want to go, but we prayed about it. The Lord said, go. We still didn't want to go, and I got the two guys I had started a church with, and Mark and Dave. I said, would you pray about this? Well, it doesn't make any sense. I said, I don't know. I, let's just pray about it. So we prayed about it for 60 days, and they both said, well, we don't understand. The Lord wants you to go. So we made the move in May of 1992, and the first week there, we were, we were doing a prophetic conference. The Lord gave me a vision of Niagara Falls coming down to the city of Toronto from heaven. And the Lord said, in late 93, early 94, I'm going to begin to move the spirit in Toronto that will go to the nations. And conservatively speaking, between January 1994 and 2001, somewhere between four and five million people walked through the doors of that church from all over the world and had amazing touches from God. This church is here today because of the outpouring of that Holy Spirit. We did not understand that 
until things, why we were there in Toronto. I mean, it was fun to be part of the team. I love the other leaders there. But you know, Lord, why would you have us move to a place where they have this weird stuff called snow? Why would you have us move someplace with, with high taxes, you know? <laughs> we, we missed our church. We missed the weather. We missed, missed the restaurants in California, you know? Just being real. But uh, I remember Mark and Dave, the guys I was leading the church with in San Diego, as the outpouring began, I called them up and said, get out here right away. They bought tickets on two weeks' notice, and they spent a week in Toronto, and every night they just got laid out for hours in the spirit. They went back to San Diego, and starting for uh, a year and a half, they had meetings every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, and they estimate that over 75,000 Christians from all over San Diego, including Nazarenes and Baptists and Catholics, came to their church and had significant impacts with the Holy Spirit. And I remember the second day, Mark and Dave were there after their first night meeting, getting laid out in the Spirit. And they looked at me at lunch and they said, you know, two and a half years ago, when we all felt the Lord saying, yes, you're to move there, but we didn't understand why. We did it out of obedience, but now we know why. And I tell you, God honors your obedience more than anything else. Are you still alive? Sacrifices are good, especially when he calls you to make sacrifice, but it's love is measured by obedience. Let's, let's all stand. Among other people all around the globe, I've had the privilege of being friends with a lot of people around the globe, but uh, John and Trisha Bootsma, uh, we've, I think, Trisha, you were in the meeting the first time I went to Ontario in 1990, something. But uh, uh, not to put you on the spot, but Friday night, yesterday morning, you had a pretty serious encounter with the Holy Spirit. Would you just come on up here? If you would? Maybe she'll need some help. Maybe I'll come down there. How's that? So, so, you know, Tricia, the Lord has used you and John around the globe, and obviously you move uh, very wonderfully in the prophetic and dynamic with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could turn her around so she can face the crew. I know they're a little bit motley, motley looking, but they're okay. Uh, but, but just, and I don't want to pry into anything too personal or in-depth, but uh, during the ministry time, Friday night here at the meeting, yesterday morning as well, what, what was going on with you? Whoa. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, I just feel um, this download of glory uh, that was coming upon me on another level. And I feel also like there was, whoa, a resurrection of dreams that the Lord has been giving and uh, just a subsequent, uh, I don't know, I felt freedom even yesterday from yesterday. I felt freedom from lies, freedom from the lies of the enemy that has tried to keep us bound, keep me bound to, you know, something lesser than what the Father's ordained. 
And I and I I just I just love what I've heard this word this morning, even about the destiny on this church, the worship anointing and the, the fire and the altar that the Lord wants to to build here. And 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 I guess we've seen that. We've been seeing that in the spirit. And sometimes we're like, you know, we've John and I have been scratching our heads and what are we doing? What why you know, we moved country, we moved our family, and you know, it's just like this. Sometimes we're like, God, what are we doing here? But then it's like the Lord's saying, but you see, this is that which I was speaking to you about. And I just, I don't know, I just, maybe you just came for me, but I just feel like the Lord is saying that this word is true, that God is ordaining a great move of glory through this house. And, and there's something about an altar that's to be built here, worship and adoration, a resting place of the glory of God. And when the Lord spoke to me some two years ago and he said, I'm coming with revival in America. I'm coming with a great move of glory in America. And, you know, we have seen it in Canada, and there's been amazing things, but I think we haven't seen anything compared to what's coming. And I feel like the Lord is wanting to remove the lies, and that's what I feel happened to me this weekend. I feel lies were removed, and I felt a fresh fire of faith that arose in me. This is God. This is God. This is God. And even as we're entering this Christmas season, can you imagine this virgin saying, what, you know, you're coming, but she believed, blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of those things spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed are you when you believe. Blessed are you when you believe. And I just feel like there's something bigger than what we're thinking right now. There's something bigger than what we're dreaming right now. And I just feel like, you know, he's sending the prophet to say it so I don't know just more Lord yeah we say yes we say yes we say yes so I'm undone but I believe that we're all to be undone the glory of God is coming and right heart bunking bunkies passing I think is a sign there is a mantles about to be poured out of evangelism unlike we've ever seen before I had a dream about that just last Sunday about the revival coming to this church. And it was a very clear dream. And then they later, a few days later, he said, invest eternally, invest in eternity, invest in prayer, invest in fasting, invest in seeking that which goes on into eternity because souls are coming into this place. And he's making us ready to burn for him. Yeah. Let's just stay up here a moment. You know, um, so good what she shared but she mentioned two things uh, a revi revival of dreams and breaking lies from the past and if you relate to that if you're in need of that of things the enemy has been throwing at you broken off and as well uh, dreams revived in your life just lift up a hand and Trisha could you just say a quick prayer for those two things Yeah, is it okay if I invite you to come forward? Because I think God just wants to encounter people. Oh, you are. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cal. Just do it generally for now. Father, we pray for the revival of those dreams. God, we ask for removal of the lies. God, the whisper of the enemy and the, the whisper of of you're not as good as or you can't or whatever. Lord, I thank you for blowing the chaff away this morning. Like the, the, there's winds blowing. There's winds blowing. There's been a sifting. Yes, there's been a crushing. But in the crushing, 
He is bringing forth this new wine, but there's a, there's a blowing right now of the chaff. Lord, break the lie in the name of Jesus. Expose and break the lies that we've given way too much airtime, way too much bandwidth of our spiritual ener- energy to listening to those lies. Enough is enough. In the name of Jesus, we pray a breaking right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come and revive the dreams and the visions revive the encounters we go back to that which you have spoken God it's like there's something about blessed are you when you believe we want to hang on we believe Lord what you've spoken is true what you've whispered in the night seasons what you've what you've come to whisper in our ear you are truth so Lord revive those dreams right now in Jesus name Fertile soil, 30, 60, 100-fold return. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Last week when I was praying about this weekend with you, most of the revelation God gives me are in visions and uh, words. Uh, every so often I'll get a prophetic dream. And I had a, a prophetic dream, I think it was on Wednesday night, and I saw like our lives were cars, and a lot of our lives as cars, uh, we were a little bit rusty, our paint was a little bit faded, we were drastically in need of a tune-up and fresh oil. But I saw the Spirit of God move in these cars, and all of a sudden the paint began to be sparkling, the rust was gone, the chrome bumpers were shining, the engines went from uh, to two cylinders to four, and four to six, and six to eight, hallelujah. And all of a sudden, these cars begin to take off. And I believe these cars represent your life going the distance with Jesus into the destiny and calling that he created you to walk in. I was uh, uh, ministering a while back in Cape Town, South Africa, and a friend of mine as a gift bought me a a very, very expensive Italian shirt. And... uh, uh, I've only worn it a few times, and uh, we washed it on Wednesday, and then I traveled out here on Thursday, and I ironed it this morning, and I put it on, and lo and behold, the thing has shrunk. <laughs> I would have looked like a monkey, well, maybe look like that anyway, but a chimp in a suit wearing it, you know. And so uh, I said, wow, this is such a beautiful shirt, and it's such an expensive gift, and only got to wear it a few times, but I felt like the Lord saying, I'm dressing you fresh for this new season. And so whatever analogy you want to relate to, the car needing a new paint job, a tune-up, the rust cleaned off, new fuel, or whether you feel like, you know, what you're wearing, like the prodigal, you're in tatters, and you need a new garment placed upon you of the fresh thing God is doing. If you're here today, and if you're here, I'm assuming you're still here, you haven't checked out, But if you're here and you know that you need a fresh filling of the power and the presence and the grace of God, would you just come to the front right now? Now just make your way all the way to the front. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, suffers violence. So if someone's in your way, just push them out of the way. (laughs) 
If they're a Christian, they have to forgive you, don't they? Just hold your hands out to the Lord right now. And would you pray out loud after me? Father God, thank you that you have not created me to be an orphan, but to walk hand in hand with you, filled with your Holy Spirit, knowing Jesus, making Jesus known, experiencing your impossible blessings in my life, and giving it away. So I stand before you, and I ask that right now, would you fill me fresh with your power and your presence? Just close your eyes and let the Holy Spirit begin to move. And again, the leadership team, if you could help me out, just we're going to lay hands on everybody as we can. But just right now, in the name of Jesus, and if I could have one of the men follow behind as I pray for people. But just, we're not in a hurry. I don't think we're in a hurry. But just take your time. Make sure you get what God has for you before you leave here.